Welcome to Looks Like New on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm Bailey Troutman. This is a show that asks old questions about new technology, even addressing questions that should have been asked a long time ago. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month on the radio, or you can listen online as a podcast. Looks Like New is a production of the Media Enterprise Design Lab at CU Boulder. Each semester, students, faculty, and community members come together to work on projects in the Media Enterprise Design Lab, or MedLab, as we like to call it. These projects, more broadly, are related to community ownership and governance in media organizations. MedLab offers a really unique space for those involved to draw on diverse fields and backgrounds, such as cultural studies, law, management, media archaeology, organizational communication, art, and sociology. MedLab holds space and time for better kinds of business models. Our work emphasizes things like collaboration, research, and education. Last month, a project titled Excavations, Governance Archaeology for the Future of the Internet is an online art exhibition with the United Nations Internet Governance Forum explored the future of the internet through the past and present of human self-governance. What does this project do? What does it entail? What can we learn from it? But more importantly, today we're going to have a conversation asking the question, what can the internet learn from the past? Daria Medic is a PhD candidate in the Intermedia Art Writing and Performance Program at CU Boulder and a research fellow with MedLab, where she develops knowledge-making spaces through unlearning harmful habituation in and with technology. Daria is a digital practitioner, artist, and researcher working between spaces of policy, art education, curating, and the public domain. And Nathan Schneider is the director of the Med Lab and an assistant professor in media studies at CU Boulder. Nathan works at the intersections of technology and social change, particularly in efforts to develop more democratic business models for the online economy. He is the author of three books, most recently, Everything for Everyone, The Radical Tradition That is Shaping the Next Economy, and he co-edited Ours to Hack and to Own, The Rise of Platform Cooperativism, a new vision for the future of work and a fair internet. Together, alongside Federica Carugatti of King's College London, this project we're going to talk about today actually went live in December 2021. I'd like to thank you both for being here today. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for offering this space because we are we only launched it and didn't really have enough time to process ourselves. So I'm really excited to dive into it. Yeah, well, we're going to just jump right in then. So to start from the very beginning, I would love to know, how did the excavations project form? So it, it emerges out of, you know, the, this this series of research and, uh, you know, experiments that we've been doing at MedLab and with our partners at this broader meta-governance project, where it, it all begins with a basic recognition that kind of community governance in online spaces on the internet is, is actually really poor and really underdeveloped, um, that, that there's so much 
Um, there are so many ways in which we have not met the challenges that we're facing in online spaces, you know, and we see this in our broader political life with, with kind of spread of misinformation and, and social media moderation. We see it at the largest levels where, you know, increasingly people find themselves not trusting large social media networks and that these, these basic infrastructures that we rely on, but it also goes down to, um, you know, our, our kind of small scale groups, our chat groups, you know, we're not governing them in, you know, often in very democratic, um, very accountable ways. We're relying on kind of the absolute power of whoever happens to be the admin. Um, and this is, the stakes are rising in this sort of stuff. These are not just toys anymore. These are technologies that are running our infrastructure, our lives, our economies. Um, I'm seeing this a lot in the, uh, around blockchain technology, where where the amount of money in this space around Bitcoin and these kinds of cryptocurrencies and the amount of the, the stakes are seem to be way beyond the capacity that people have to self-govern. And in my work with those kinds of communities over and over, I see a kind of craving. We need a broader repertoire. We need to um, we need to learn from from you know the possibilities of you know, a much wider range of possibilities than what we've, you know, had available to us. And, you know, I, I think we're at a moment of like reinventing social contracts, uh, reinventing like the, the governance of our world. And, um, and, and I think when we imagine what the, our possibilities are for doing that, um, we need a better account of our past. So this project is all about, um, about, uh, 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 having a, a different kind of relationship to the long legacy of human self-governance for the sake of the challenges that uh, confront us today. In the same way that, you know, Thomas Jefferson's library was full of, you know, books about classical Greece and Rome as he and others were trying to figure out um, uh, the, the the structure of the United States government um, as many of them were learning from and tr and copying from the very um, indigenous communities that they were in the process of att attempting to remove and, and destroy. Um, you know, we today are uh, finding ourselves needing, I think, the, the wisdom of the past and needing a, a different kind of relationship with the past. And and for this, we, we uh, you know, as part of this research, um, you know, trying to figure out how to process some of this these legacies, um, you know, we we turn to artists uh, to to as uh, alongside doing kind of empirical research and assembling databases, um, which Federica and I have been working on. Uh, we also wanted to have the kind of accompaniment of of people approaching these questions from a creative perspective, um, and and Daria really led the the way in that in that process. You know, do you want to take take over from here? Yeah, well, as soon as um, as soon as I heard about the research that Nathan and Federica were doing, and when we started having a conversation of, okay, how could some artists get involved in this space, and like, how could we broaden the space of accessibility and basically processing all of these issues that are very complex, even to deal with on a, on the basis of language, right, and just uh, pure exchange as we're used to especially in the academic realm and especially in, in the ways that like knowledge is codified in these spaces, um, it became apparent that there is a direct connection between 
governance issues on a small scale and on a large scale, also in terms of policy and how it is regulated in spaces um, such as the Internet Governance Forum, which is one of the basic like, digital policy processes in the world um, on around the Internet and around the future of the Internet. And, and there was a very interesting opportunity to see whether this could become a conversation the space within the Internet Governance Forum and leveraging the context in which uh, 2021 was still becoming a pandemic, half pandemic year. At the point when we started discussing, it wasn't sure whether it would be like in person or not. But in any case, creating the relationship between governance archaeology and Internet governance was a very fruitful space to start this conversation. Yeah, and I I'm really struck by, you know, the method of, you know, archaeology and excavation, and there's a bunch of different ways we go about that especially in like media research, you know, contexts, but there are so many different ways you could approach, you know, a big broad question, you know, about the internet or about governing the internet or, you know, related topics. And so I was kind of wondering if you could share a little bit more about, you know, what does the work of excavation do in the context of this project? And maybe like what tools does it allow for research about the internet? To me, it, it, it's connected to this, to this, um, I mean, the, first of all, the basic idea of archaeology, right, is that the past is not just the past, it's its remnants are among us, right? And, and you know, when you excavate a, a physical ruin or, or monument or something, you know, you are finding the things of the past that are actually still in this world, right? And they're not just in the past. And, and so part of it is this kind of recognition that our, you know, our human legacies of governance are are with us. We are inhabiting them in some ways. We're inheriting what they um, what they accomplished and and what they failed to do, and um, and so you know that recognition begins there. And and you know related term that we've been exploring around this is ancestry. You know recognizing that we are we are you know we have to begin seeing ourselves if we're not already as you know, as ans- as as descendants of our of our ancestors, and to form relationships with with those as we learn from them, and and that entails you know respect. It entails you know a sense that that you know their work is 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 still alive in us potentially. You know, if we if we hold that that relationship, um, and 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 then too, it it connects with a a tradition. You know that that Daria and I are both influenced by media archaeology, um, which is you know a practice of of um, uh, not only studying the the work of you know older media forms, um, but actually you know ex- doing that uh, at building a creative relationship with them. Yeah, and and Daria, I know you know Nathan has mentioned you both are very interested and invested in the work of media archaeology, and I was wondering, you know, with this project, kind of what did you find, you know, maybe it allowing you to do or to think about while you navigated the process? Well, first, in terms of the relationship to research and how the the cohort that we created, um, basically 
also what we did just to like explain the process of how we started this conversation was that we created a framework and an opening like an invitation like literally an open call to artists for artists to participate but also an opening in terms of like invitation of what kind of contributions could be made and by laying that out we were also laying that out for ourselves of where do where are where is the diversity needed in terms of um, interventions that would be meaningful and especially thinking of the uh, thinking of history and archaeology in knowledge production and how like the epistemic realm has been like a dominant form of knowledge production and how the world of techne or critical making or making as such is something that is seen as a secondary and inferior form of making. This project really allowed us to open into the unknown, to create a conversation between these spaces that are now becoming much more needed and much more in focus when science is becoming a very rigid format of knowledge production and is needing actually other forms of knowledge that are not just purely epistemic and acknowledging that forms of knowledge are not inferior but actually complementary and creating an integrative space of knowing something that is um, a part of societies that are not western even today and has been a part of pre-modern societies and cognitive science is actually showing like in the papers that are coming out today, how important perspectival knowing and participatory knowing is for getting more insight. And this then lends into conversations such as policy spaces that have more silos that do not communicate well with each other and that are also asking for mediators, such as Nathan was mentioning how online communities are asking for more diverse inputs. The same is happening with the space of, of policy and a need for diverse modes of access and entry points. And then if we think about practice-based research or critical making or critical design, there are so many ways to call the research that has been done in this cohort because it's not just artists. We have also policymakers who are there. We have researchers who are there. The way that that lends in opens up into creating a more fruitful conversation than just leaving on the level of languaging, right? Absolutely. And that, that sense of, of the need for the embodied thinking was so clear. I mean, very early on, Federica and I were starting to populate a database and filling these cells with, you know, words and, 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 and references of, about historical governance practices, you know, and trying to, to, trying to map them and categorize them. And it just felt like, so dead in certain respects, in certain respects felt so necessary and, and powerful to, to honor the, you know, to bring these to, to the surface, to put them before us, but also to um, felt a kind of profound need to do this in conversation with creating, um, do this in conversation with people who are, uh, uh, who, who are going to recombine, um, who are going to, do something with uh, the, the the material at hand. Um, it's it's such an important kind of relationship. And so w- what we ended up doing, starting in the summer 
uh, of, of 2021 through December at the Internet Governance Forum in Poland, uh, we ran a cohort of artists uh, who met you know, regularly, uh, sharing their work with each other, talking to each other, and, um, and in some cases hearing from you know, experts of various kinds, um, but mostly just interacting with each other, seeing each other's work, uh, commenting on it, and um, building this conversation around how we imagine the future of governance on the internet. You are listening to Looks Like New, a show that asks old questions about new tech. Stick with us. We'll be back soon. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio. We're having a conversation with Daria Medic and Nathan Schneider about excavations of the internet. Yeah, and I'm I'm really struck. I think obviously this is incredible what you all have what you all put together. Um, and I, I'm really you know thinking about this idea of you know we're talking about ancestry, we're talking about, you know, creating and thinking about who gets to make meaning or knowledge, you know, and how does knowledge production happen? And, you know, how do we make sure that we're, you know, keeping our records, honestly, like open and understanding, you know, from a more holistic perspective, like how we got where we are today in a lot of ways. And so I've been really struck by that coming up in this conversation so far. And I want to kind of continue that conversation into a question from a more technical perspective. So you've done a great job kind of outlining, you know, we talked about you had a cohort of different people coming together, working on this project. You know, I I was noticing when I was, you know, looking through what you all have created um, that there was a mixture between the visual and the audio so that, you know, you could actually, you know, hear people talking in these different, you know, parts of, of this online collection. And I was just wondering, you know, could you talk more about why the team decided to mix the visual and the audio and what that kind of allowed um, in terms of thinking and, and conversation and meaning making? Yeah, that is a wonderful question. Thank you, Bailey. And it's very important for this project, especially because the projects that were um, created during the cohort were extremely diverse and were using different tool sets and different forms of output. And a way to create an exhibition that would create a shared space had to be a leveling ground. And... um, I personally have a thing for audio tours, <laughs> very personally, but also as an artist and a curator, um, I see the responsibility of the artist being present in the room, not like Marina Abramovich, but like actually accountable in the room for the work that one is carrying and being there to guide people if needed, if wanted. 
And this was, um, in, in a way, a very beautiful um, chance to have voices of the artists actually guiding through their own work in their own words, not in the words of a curator or a researcher who is analyzing their work, but them, like they are analyzing what governance means to them, what kind of issues do they see, what do they want to bring with this work, and it brings it home in a different way when you can actually hear someone and hear a perspective from a person or a team, because in some cases there were collectives that produced work, and then you can hear several voices, and that brings a very different understanding of what someone wanted to do with the space. And, um, and in the sense of the interface itself, going back to media archaeology, uh, because we were discussing governance mechanisms and the governance archaeology project actually um, excavates <laughs> mechanisms of governance that are both pre-modern and from various points in time, um, I found a book in the media archaeology lab that is housed at CU Boulder. And that is a wonderful space for people to visit virtually or physically if they can. Uh, that is a book of mechanisms. So uh, we actually scanned mechanisms that are literal mechanisms from like the industrial age and uh, used them as metaphors for the whole uh, language of the website itself. Yeah, and the, the media archaeology lab, if... if um... Uh, you know, listeners aren't familiar with any of this stuff. It, it, actually, one of our first interviews on this show was with uh, Laurie Emerson, our uh, colleague at uh, CU Boulder, who runs the, the lab. It's a beautiful basement uh, on campus um, full of working computers and other kinds of machines that people can use. Um, it's really focused on that. It's all about getting these things working again. CD-ROMs or, or diskettes or, or instruction books are there so that you can play with them and, and, and work with them and build with them. And all of these kinds of activities are part of what media archaeology involves and, and what this kind of practice involves is, is saying that, that to do research, you know, um, one, one in some ways must also use the machine. You cannot look at it in abstraction. Um, and, and it is for that same reason that, you know, we, as we're gathering data about the past, we also want to recombine and build with, with artists and other creators. Yeah. And I, I really love, I think, you know, both Daria and Nathan, you have both shared like some really, really great stuff about, you know, how this kind of comes together. And then also like the practice part of it, right? Like super important. And I was, Thinking even further, you know, in light of the context of the last few years and the shifts that has forced, you know, maybe we physically cannot go, you know, to certain areas or look at certain galleries at this point, or, you know, maybe we are starting to see an emergence of, of different ways we're using the machine to actually help our own, you know, projects reach new audiences. And I, I was thinking about, you know, all of that context and, the way that you all have created this really beautiful, you know, project and kind of you launched it online and it's about the internet and this kind of like really interesting moment where you're seeing like, yeah, we, we must use the machine maybe to talk about the machine, but also to spread the word about the machine and how we move forward with it. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about some of the reach that you found because it is a virtual, you know, curation 
and maybe like how this might um, influence future iterations of projects like this. Yeah, well, also, that's a very nice continuation on on what Nathan was mentioning just now about how the Media Archaeology Lab is a space that is meant for people to experiment with technology. We created this space in such a way that people can experiment with the connecting points between the different aspects of the research itself because all the projects are tagged by governance mechanisms where you can learn more about them and that is part of the broader research of governance archaeology but it is also something that you wouldn't be able to do in this cross simultaneous format if you would be in a physical space and also just thinking from the perspective of art production and sustainability it is incomparable in the sense of how much one exhibition costs to produce and how short it lives, how privileged people need to be to access it and also to understand it and also to see it in a very specific time frame. So this this digital space, even though it has other limitations and people have digital fatigue, not only like Zoom fatigues, but any like screen fatigue as such. This is another reason why listening to the artists guide you through their work can be a way to participate in the exhibition and like in fragments go through it and experience it and come back to it. And the idea that it is there and that it will be there and that it is a space that is accessible and that it is built in now already basic HTML. Uh, is something that produces high accessibility for for people around the whole world. Yeah, and that it it really is a handcrafted uh, piece. The the exhibition space at excavations dot digital uh, that that you know Daria molded with her with her hands, and it was that was part of the uh, kind of process of the whole uh, the whole cohort. You know, one choice we made, for instance, was not to use Zoom, uh, to use a, uh, another space uh, on a platform called meet.coop, which is a co-owned video conferencing site. And it's not perfect. And, and the servers are hosted in Germany and there was some lag sometimes and, and other issues. Um, but in some ways, that friction brought us into a kind of recognition of our relationship with these technologies that sometimes the you know, the, the technologies we use are designed to make us forget, you know, and, and, and sometimes that's good. We don't want to be thinking about the video conferencing software when we're just trying to like talk to talk to grandparents or something. But but sometimes when you're trying to be intentional about these uh, about what technology is doing in our lives and in our society, that kind of intentionality is important. And, you know, similarly, this both the private uh, kind of cohort space that that the artists talked with each other um, in, and the the um, that the public exhibition space at excavations.digital um, were handcrafted with the with a kind of intention about what kind of what kind of look and feel, what kind of environment do we want to immerse ourselves in? Yeah, and I I think obviously I think it's a super interactive exhibit. I strongly encourage all of the listeners to check it out. Um, and I I really enjoyed the fact that like 
as someone visiting this, you know, curation, I can click through and I could engage with it in multiple different ways, which felt really interesting and also gives me a chance, you know, as someone passing by just to really, you know, think about and create even my own experience as well, which I think is really powerful. And it just goes along with what you all have just said so beautifully. You know, We've talked about a little bit about, you know, just the project itself. Obviously, now we've talked about what it looks like, the interface, all of that. And I was wondering, though, because I, I know we've talked about some, you know, big, big named organizations like the United Nations Internet Governance Forum, like a real mouthful there. But, you know, um, how did this like collaborative like team kind of happen? Like, how did you enter the space? Like, what is the Internet Governance Forum? Like, maybe you could talk a little bit more about the logistics of how this this even happened at all. Well, this has a, an archaeology of its own. <laughs> because um, prior to coming to CU Boulder, I was working for a digital policy organization called the Diplo Foundation that was behind the first exhibition that was done uh, during the Internet Governance Forum in Geneva in 2017. And that was an impressive setup. That is actually what, kind of referring to what I was talking about a moment ago with like, what does it mean to have a physical exhibition? How many resources? How much effort it takes to have something that is somewhere for a week? And then mm, not having um, ways to assess the impact except having conversations and getting invited to show the exhibition somewhere else. But at that point, this was the first time that, that people around the Internet Governance Forum, which is a public forum for the Internet, that is huge. It gathers around 5,000 people uh, each year. It shifts from continent to continent. Uh, usually, traditionally, it was going much more around the global south. But in these years, um, the funding is always an issue. So um, it's been happening around Europe. But that is very contrary to the multi-stakeholder model that the Internet Governance Forum has, which basically says that for each panel, for each specific activity, people need to be involved from all parts of the world. Uh, diverse genders need to be present. Um, and diverse everything. So basically, stakeholders need to be uh, from diverse sectors. So for example, the, the stakeholders that the Internet Governance Forum sees as specific fields are like the legal sector, um, the technical sector, academia, the private sector, civil society. So people can come as like civilians to the um, Internet Governance Forum, and this has become something that is much more in the center of debate, that more public input is needed. And the more public input ne is needed part actually lacks these intermediary bodies that communicate and then make accessible to the general public what do people do in the Internet Governance Forum and what kind of discussions are done there. Because there are diverse discussions. There, there are some that are very technical about technical standards and internet infrastructure and like landlocked countries and like cable internet and stuff like that. There are discussions about uh, sex worker rights. There are so many like different discussions that happen and that people could find interesting, but it is oversatiated with the, with the size of it. So uh, 
what happened in 2017 was that we created a um, subway map of policy issues and every policy issue had like a small house uh, that was like a station and an artwork was housed there. But a lot of people didn't understand that it was an art exhibition. First, they didn't understand the concepts of digital art as such. They would think art is a painting on a wall. Because you need to also assess what is the audience that is approaching a certain space. So people were actually trying to check their emails on computers, for example, that were housing like digital artworks. And then slowly creating this conversation with people and across the years, people are getting more familiar with something being on a computer and not just being like for use, <laughs> not being like for public use. And now is something that we did with the excavations is create a much more, for me, a meaningful intervention in terms of thinking how internet policy issues are not new. Like governance issues are also take a huge legacy of ways of understanding, ways of communicating, ways of creating the diversity, the stakeholders, all the dynamics that are there are have their archaeology. And we like to think about technology as new coming from the sky, you know, this like impact narrative that like the Silicon Valley context offers us. And then we have Silicon Valley people in the internet governance firm. So it's a very interesting space of conflict between different positions. And this is where getting like straight into a policy issues, a policy issue through experience through directly seeing something, how it manifests, is very powerful. And in that sense, uh, it was a very nice intervention that happened. They allowed us to do a guided tour as a part of the program. And I think this was even more important than just having the exhibition as a part of the space because it was allowed, it was legitimized a conversation. And I was kind of wondering, Nathan, too, you know, because obviously, Dari, you have this like incredible background. You've done a lot of work in this, you know, with this forum, you know, you've seen kind of the inner workings in a lot of ways. And for Nathan, like with the Med Lab, for example, you know, how did you figure out, like, I know, obviously, a lot of work related to governance and community issues happens in Med Lab, but how did this project kind of fit with MedLab or did you like Daria did you propose it or like how did that kind of come together in, in terms of working with the UN um, internet governance forum as well? Well the, certainly Daria brought the the internet go governance forum idea and and just her presence um, as someone who is both you know a, a critical thinker and researcher and artist and creator uh, curator um, you know just helped this this kind of possibility emerge and that's how things often work in medlab is you know we're always just trying to figure out okay who is here what are people bringing how can we how can we create new combinations um so this project you know what emerges out of a a, a grant proposal that um we did to a small foundation a small family foundation um uh, that is led by a, a a you know a tech person actually and and when we made the proposal, it was not to do this necessarily. Um, uh, it was to explore, to do this archaeology work, to do this um, uh, around governance, to to explore these issues. But we didn't know what form it would take. Um, but I think I think the the question of art and in, in digital life has become so much more like 
uh, uh, poignant and contentious in the last few years that in ways that made me really want to engage in it, even though I, I don't necessarily come from an art background. Uh, but I, um, you know, w- w- when we first started experimenting with this, we also um, uh, I got involved in a process around digital art in the crypto world and the kind of blockchain uh, space. I did a little experiment to see what that felt like. And, um, and, and we, you know, we had an opportunity to be judges on a, on a, you know, a kind of panel. And it was, you know, in some ways a very kind of, at least for me, um, you know, kind of frustrating experience and, and um, a recognition of some of the ways in which, you know, artistic practice has, has, you know, gotten kind of swallowed up in, you know, we already, this is nothing new. I mean, the commercialization of, of art is something that artists have been agonizing about for since there were artists, but, but, um, it is taking up a, a new a new tenor where on the one hand, you know, some of these new technologies like NFTs enable artists maybe to benefit and to and to uh, earn money in ways that they couldn't before and to share their their uh, the value they're creating. But at the same time, it kind of invites this commercialization of everything. And um and, you know, I've been thinking a lot, uh, you know, I'm on Zoom all the time or whatever platform and and in my office behind me is a, a, a giant painting that people are always commenting on. So I have to explain, you know, uh, I'm babying, babysitting it for the artist. The art, this is an artist who, you know, is kind of the opposite of NFTs, uh, who who is, um, uh, uh, you know, who's very uncomfortable with the commercialization of her art. Um, she's a painter named Amanda Shulo. And... Um, and so as a result, you know, I couldn't, you know, buy this painting from her. I'm, I'm just borrowing it from her. I paid shipping, you know, and, and as soon as she wants it back, I'll ship it wherever she needs it to go. And that relationship, um, that presence, you know, is something that so challenges the kind of economic norms. It challenges the, you know, the, the, the logics by which we live our lives. And this is, this is the power of art is this is its power it, it, its ability to not live by the rules um of our um you know of our social order i also by the way think that's the job of the university right to be a space that is not simply you know um that is not simply a market object but is a space in which the the very things that the market does not value on its own can be done and 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 I think you know that's why you know for instance we're taking up these questions of online governance precisely because the companies that 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 do govern our our online lives as the legal scholar Kate Klonick says you know the new plat the platforms are the new governors of our lives um, and you know precisely because they have not created spaces for collective governance for 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 community self governance. Um, uh, sufficient to, you know, what, what our communities deserve. Um, you know, we have to, in these non-market spaces, um, uh, uh, do that work of, of articulating for ourselves, what is it that we really want and need uh, for our communities? And because artists, because the practice of art making, um, you know, I think at its best challenges our, our, our frames for seeing the world, our, our understanding of what is what is currently marketable, what is currently sellable. It's a it's an it's a necessary collaboration. If we were to do research, you know, artists have a you know have a have an integral role in that as well. 
You are listening to Looks Like New, a show that asks old questions about new tech. Stick with us. We'll be back soon. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio. We're having a conversation with Daria Medic and Nathan Schneider about excavations of the internet. Yeah, and I I really do love what you just said, um, Nathan, as well, just because I think, you know, as we're thinking about, you know, talking about the future and talking about our potential understandings of something like the internet, it's really amazing that you all have been able to take and to merge all of these different perspectives like we've been talking about, but also just the different ways we can even approach understanding maybe what we understand or how we understand something like the internet, um, which I think, is, as Daria mentioned, is usually this very like flashy, like this is new and it's never been done before and never we, have we seen you know this this in the whole human history before. And, and I think the work of excavations and that archaeology and the ancestry that just comes out so strong in this project and with what you all have talked about and, and the work that you can continue to do. And um, so I just wanted to thank you both for doing this work. Um, and I've been really inspired by the project so far. And another thing, though, that I did want to kind of you know, ask you all is, aside from maybe the servers that you were you know, encountering issues with you know, from Germany or whatnot, as you all were collaborating and working on the project, what were some of the other challenges that maybe were unique to this project, maybe aren't unique to the project, but maybe just collaboration more broadly? Um, how did you face those challenges and maybe some of the questions that you were kind of negotiating or asking um, as you as you progressed? Well, definitely, if we're talking about issues that everyone is facing today, uh, affordances of time, space, and technology is the very big one for such a project that is gathering people who never met before to create a collective space and especially in how we envisaged it and were like very ambitious in our ideas of how revolutionary we can create these conversations in the cohort itself and the meetings themselves and with the amount of time that we had thinking across time zones because we had people from like uh america like all sides of america and then from europe and then from asia and then from new zealand so that was like completely going across the globe and trying to find times that work for everyone but also trying to contract the conversation into something that could be organic that could be free but also have a directionality. So we wanted to have everything on the table as a point of discussion. 
and also creating the diary space, the blog space that was like a process space took time for people to really dive into it. And when, when they did, it became really exciting and benefited the projects and the communication between them. But it just takes time for people to get to create a space of trust. And that is a very basic and organic thing that should not be undermined in a collective process, right? So that is one of the, um, the conflict that, that, that just happens in this space. But also time in developing the output formats was, I would say that is an issue when you want to also discuss things such as collective governance, because we wanted the governance space to be a space where we would also discuss how does an art practice and a collective art practice that is meant for community building and collective making, what are these spaces of accountability and decision making? Because it is very important to address those, not just stay on the level of, oh, you know, internet governance and community governance has all this archaeology and we're just doing art. Everything is connected. And if we're basing the conversation on how can more free spaces be created, that is also important then to think about your own practice uh, as a researcher, as an artist. So all of these conversations were something that we had to negotiate along the way and maybe change our trajectory because we had guest lectures that were coming in and we, we wanted to like create a balance of external input and development of their projects. And at a certain point, we had to stop with the amount of information we were gathering in the project and focus on really developing the individual projects themselves and then create the, the online exhibition space um, just in the way that we were basically organically feeling from the space and what was becoming a leveling ground, something that would connect all of them. And Nathan, from your perspective, were there any questions that you found yourself asking along the way or asking the team along the way um, that kind of impacted maybe, you know, what you all ended up creating together? I mean, one thing that that emerged during the process that, that you know, resonated, was powerful for me was, was um, the release of this book, The Dawn of Everything uh, by David Graeber and David Wengro. Um, uh, this, this, you know, David Graeber was an anthropologist. Who, he was someone I knew from, um, you know, kind of previous work. And, and, you know, I wrote a book about Occupy Wall Street. He was one of the early people there. Um, and, uh, and this book is just, you know, he, he died just before it was published. Um, so it was something that really kind of ha- resonated a lot with me personally, as well as with a lot of, a lot of people. It's been widely discussed um, and is this kind of counter big history um, that that reveals the ways in which like a lot of the other big pop you know big history pop books that have been out in the last few years sapiens by uh, Yuval Harari the kind of Jared Diamond books you know have this kind of techno determinism that te- technology sh- shapes human history in these fundamental ways and the thing that is so uh, uh, you know the the approach of this of this book, The Dawn of Everything, is kind of the, the opposite. Is that in fact human beings have been uh, taking different kinds of technological and and economic and 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 other contexts 
and being incredibly creative with them. You know, that, that the, the big story they're trying to tell about human nature is that we are creative, right? And that we are, um, and that are, and, and particularly their focus on governance, you know, they're, that we are politically creative and that we are always trying to come up with ways to, you know, stick it to the, the powers that be to, to uh, invert the, the systems that are destroying our lives, um, to find better ways of, of constructing accountability um, wherever we find ourselves. And, you know, so this is outside the cohort, but as this book is, is coming out, we're doing this work and it just feels to me like the moment is so ripe. Um, and to see all these people read it, to see the reviews come out and just see this, this sense that, that, um, you know, the, the, the world is just so, so ready for this kind of story, uh, a story that is, that is built around, um, around these relationships. But at the same time, um, we, in, in this cohort, um, particularly from cer- certain people in the cohort who have been thinking deeply about these issues and living them, uh, is, is the question of co-optation, the question of, um, of col- colonization, right? Archaeology, from which the name comes, right, uh, is, you know, uh, in its modern form, is a colonial enterprise. It is, it is powerful, uh, 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 the extensions of powerful nations taking over other places and then digging up their ruins and then bringing them back to the British mu- Museum or wherever. And, uh, and, and only much more recently have archaeologists um, started to see their work as potentially decolonial. And, and, and certainly, you know, the case I mentioned earlier of, of the, you know, so-called founding fathers of the, of the United States, you know, drawing lessons from um, indigenous uh, confederacies and other forms of, of democratic practice that were already here in, in what became the United States and were uh, folded into um, the, the construction of this, uh, of, of this political system. Um, and, and at the same time as those very people were being um, subject to, you know, genocidal practices, policies, and, and assault. So, you know, that it, one just has to have pause. And the artists and many of the people in this, in this cohort had that, that deep awareness of that, that, that pain of history, that danger, mm-hmm. Uh, um, that this project of adopting, of learning from the other, from the past, you know, is, you know, is, is an incredibly, you know, as much as it can be powerful, it can be dangerous and it can be a means of, of further erasure. So that's all the more, you know, reason why we, we needed to make sure to, to, you know, and this is something we, I think is still, is something we are only beginning to, to, to do certainly as a, as a broader society, uh, but also in this project, you know, uh, uh, to, to figure out what does that right relationship look like? You know, if we are to gain a, a greater respect for our own human history, for our own, our own repertoire of, of creative self-governance, what is our relationship with with those may, with those legacies? Maybe it means, you know, that we need to enter relationship with the closest inheritors of that, you know, of, of those traditions, the people who are who have maintained those legacies. Um, maybe it means um, actually counteracting, you know, the the forces of destruction in our own society that are furthering the erasure of, you know, of those, of those peoples. And, and I, I was informed by projects in the, in the cohort that 
were taking up um, legacies that were curtailed. You know, for instance, one took its inspiration from the Cybersyn project, a, a computer system developed by the the Chilean president Salvador Allende, who who died in the process of a U.S.-backed coup, cut his regime short. And this project that took up that idea, applied it in in the context of um, of Brazil, attempted to give new life to that to that life that was cut short. Um, to 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 continue that that project in, in a way that once again challenges. The, the forms of erasure uh, that are still acting against, you know, that even that memory of, of the Allende regime. And, you know, it poses that question to us. If we are to learn from the past, what is our relationship to the past? You know, how can we not have that posture that is so often, for instance, been the case in Western political thought, right? This turn toward the ancients to refer to the Greeks, you know, as not a living society that, are our neighbors that are in this world today, but the Greeks as solely this past history that we claim as a kind of legitimacy uh, of of Western tradition, right? Uh, a source of legitimacy for for then the republics and and the the political um, uh, traditions that would be built up, and that today in many ways harm the living people who are speaking the same language as Aristotle and Plato. You know, we we have to have that kind of relationship. It cannot simply be one of knowledge acquisition, but must also be one of of uh, uh, of in that process of learning, also undoing and reversing uh, the you know the work of erasure. Yeah, and I I think that that I'm really glad you you brought that up as well because I think that it's really powerful when we stop to think about and what you all were thinking about right with a project where you're trying to figure out you know, where did we come from? And like, where are we going? Those are huge questions. I think that a lot of people are grappling with all of the time. And that's what I also really loved about the way that you navigate not only the cohort and the design and, you know, having artists being involved from everywhere around the globe, um, but also taking the care and responsibility that's required, you know, to not repeat the harms of the past or, you know, to, to carry that into the new, what we hope to create, right? Like the things that are to come. And that honestly brings me to the final question, which is always the future, the future directions, or, you know, what gives you hope about the future? What kind of work do you think that a project like this really paves the way for? In a way to continue what this conversation about inheriting and acknowledging the past brings, this project specifically creates a legitimizing of critical making as a space of participatory knowing that has, in my opinion, a very strong potential for social transformation. And particularly the role art practice can have and research-based practice can have in this space. Because critical making positions itself in the kind of right place between HCI, human-computer interaction, digital and design policy, and the humanities. And it will only grow in importance and also applicability, both for communicating, for educating, for advocating, for policymaking, for intermediary bodies, for creating more points of access and diversifying this pool and this tool set of 
how to create meaning making both for communities and for researchers themselves. And I think that the future belongs to acknowledging these spaces as spaces of knowing because there is a hierarchy in research where like producing a book is seen as a higher form of knowing than producing an exhibition, for example. And I see the future as a space where there is no hierarchy in this in this way and that each form of knowing contributes to the other and that creates more communication more embodiment more space for people to actually feel themselves their space in the world to acknowledge where they're coming from because they're actually feeling their space in the world and to continue then building to have space for building something that creates more potential for future, right? And more futuring. When we talk about art making, people often think about science fiction. And we have a lot of authors that have reflected on the importance of science fiction in their work. And a lot of people who write around technology and people who have written what some of the most amazing theory around technology have also written science fiction, but also through activism. We have to first imagine worlds in order to build them, but we also imagine from points of acknowledging our influences and from citing, like learning to be guests, learning to be uh, in invitation, learning to be acknowledging the house we are coming into and the house we're coming from. Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, that that's so beautifully said. And I, you know, I just hope with all of this that, you know, we're, there's so much anxiety, I think, about the fate of democracy and our, you know, political future. Um, and there's, you know, there's been a lot of emphasis, I think, on defending the things that have been the kind of bulwark of the last couple centuries. Um, and, you know, I, I, I hope we can broaden that, that question from just defending, you know, this one, this one particular system that was, you know, in, evolved in the last few centuries and served a certain kind of purpose um, toward this creative work of, of politics we're not simply defending these institutions as if they're the only way to be democratic, but recognizing that there is a much broader repertoire. And with that repertoire, we can, we can, uh, you know, much more creatively, you know, meet our needs um, uh, for the future, uh, address these kinds of new technologies that have, have worked their ways into our lives and, and, you know, develop the kinds of, the kinds of practices and ways of relating to each other that, that we really need. I think that you both just put a nice little bow on this conversation. So, so well done. Um, thank you both so much for your time today. Um, it was really wonderful to talk with you. You've been listening to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. We've been speaking with Daria Medich and Nathan Schneider. If you would like to find out more about their excavations work, even viewing the exhibit that we talked about, you can visit excavations.digital. I'm Bailey Troutman, today's host of Looks Like New, a production of CU's Media Enterprise Design Lab. You can find out more about our work at colorado.edu slash lab slash medlab. 
If you liked what you heard, please spread the word about this show and consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Leaving positive reviews will help our conversations reach more listeners. We would also love to hear your comments or guest ideas, so you can reach us by emailing medlab at colorado.edu. I hope you'll join us for another conversation next month.